Our topic today is the candlesticks, the lampstand, or, or known as the menorah. And this was given to Moses in a blueprint form when he went to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. It was made out of pure gold, and it was to be a replica of an olive tree. There's one central stem, and then alongside that central stem, there are six branches, and at the top there was this almond-shaped bowl that held olive oil. There was a wick that went in that bowl, and it was the responsibility of the priests to tend to the lamps morning and evening. They were to trim the lamps, and they were to make sure that the lamps were filled with oil every single day. There were no windows in the holy place of the sanctuary. There was no skylight. It was completely covered. So if you were to walk into the holy place, the priest was the only one that was allowed to go in there, but the priest would go in there, and the only illumination, the only light in the holy place was from the menorah. Seven lamps of fire that were burning there. Rich symbolism. This is one of the most theologically rich and complex articles of furniture in the sanctuary. In the book of Revelation, you see seven lamps of fire that are burning before the throne, which represent the seven churches. Ultimately, this points forward to Christ. And you can see the different articles of furniture there. We're kind of working our way around. Uh, Last week, we did the altar of incense. Before that, we did the showbread. Today, we're going to be focusing on the candlesticks. And it illuminated the entire room there. This is a bird's eye view of the sanctuary. Some theological implications of the light. Jesus himself proclaimed, I am the light of the world. And if you follow along, along in your study guide, it's inside your bulletin. You can take notes if you wish. And this is from John chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the light. He is the illumination. And this is not talking about physical illumination, although it's interesting because in the book of Revelation, the Bible indicates we have no need of the sun because the Lamb gives the light. Now, I don't understand exactly what all that means, but there's a physical presence. There's light that emanates from Jesus, but in this sense, we're talking about spiritual light versus spiritual darkness. I never had quite a sense of light and darkness until I came to Alaska. (laughs) You know, it's actually warmer here than Michigan, at least in Anchorage. And uh, the first two winters weren't as bad, but last winter, I'm just going to be vulnerable, it was tough. This winter was hard, and right around February, I was complaining to the Lord. I said, Lord, what did I do wrong? You brought me up to this dark state, and I'm just like, woe is me. You know, the sun comes up so late and goes down so early, and I'm like, that's not even sunrise. It's just like barely kissing the horizon, and it's amazing what a couple months does because I'm like, wow, I feel like alive. I might have been just a clinically little bit depressed. I'm not sure, but I was just like, oh, I feel, I feel amazing. It's amazing what light does. One thing I've also noticed in this state is the wonderful people that are here. But there's also, just like every other place, there's spiritual darkness that is here. Spiritual darkness in Anchorage, spiritual darkness 
in the remote places in Alaska, there's things that happen here that break the heart of God. Moral darkness. I've been in moral darkness. Jesus came into my heart, and it's like I came out of darkness into light. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the source of light. And when we come in contact with Jesus, there is illumination that takes place. The Bible tells us, and this is ecclesiology having to do with the church, Jesus said, not only is he the light of the world, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. God's people, God's church is to be the light of the world. We are God's representatives to bring people out of darkness into his marvelous light. So there's a, a dual application here. When we look at the menorah in the holy place of the sanctuary, it not only refers to Jesus, ultimately, first and foremost, but it also refers to us as his church. In other words, the dissemination of light and truth has not just been given to, to angels, but to men. Not only Jesus, but to human beings. What a, a privilege and a responsibility that we have. few other things that are in the sanctuary. Um, the sanctuary, uh, um, the lampstands had these uh, bowls on top of the menorah, seven bowls, and they were filled with oil, and it was the priest's responsibility to fill them with oil, with olive oil. And in the Bible, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. The filling of these lamps with oil is what made them able to burn and able to give off the light that was necessary for the second compartment of the sanctuary. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what makes light possible. We can't shine without the Holy Spirit. Then we have the priest. The priest that symbolizes Jesus. The priest represented Jesus, our high priest in heaven. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. And the priest is the one that filled the lamps with the oil. So much richness there in the symbology. Jesus is the one that fills us with the Holy Spirit in order for us to give off light. Now, there's a few practical applications that we can draw from this. One of them is this word tamid in the Hebrew, and it is used repeatedly in the Old Testament to refer to the sanctuary service, and tamid means continually or daily, and the priest was to tend to the bread to keep it continually before the Lord. It was the bread of the presence. There was never a time in which the bread was not present there in the sanctuary. It was to be there continually before the Lord. And here the same word, tamid, is used again. The priest was to tend to the lamps daily to keep the lamps burning continually. Same word, referring to this article of furniture. There was never a time in which the lights went out. It was to be continually burning before the Lord. Last but not least, the priest was to tend to the incense to keep it continually burning before God. So these three articles of furniture had a common characteristic. They all used the Hebrew word tamid 
explicitly stating that there was never a time in which the lights went out, the bread was never to be there, and the incense was never to burn. It was to be a continuation of these three activities by the priest. And as we noted in an earlier presentation, the bread, in application to our own Christian journey and our own Christian experience, can refer to feeding on the Word of God, Bible study, devotional life, Studying the Word is to be a continual thing in our Christian experience. Just like you can't eat for the whole year, you have to eat every day. Same way with the Word of God. You don't just eat a whole bunch on Sabbath and starve the whole week and then eat on Sabbath again. You need to eat every single day. It was to be continual. Tamid. Then you have prayer, the incense representing the prayers of God's people that were to ascend. And this is something that is to be continued. As we noted last Sabbath, prayer is the breath of the soul, the secret of spiritual power, the metaphor of breathing being uh, an example of what it is our dependence upon prayer for spiritual life. And then we have the candlestick, witnessing, sharing the love of Christ with others. And we have in our study guide, the word, prayer, and our witness for Jesus is to be continually part of our Christian experience. We can never come to the place where we say we must stop any of these activities because it shows our dependency upon Christ. I worked in... South Central Los Angeles, I mentioned in a previous presentation, as a Bible worker. And it was a part of Los Angeles that I'd never been to before. And we were on Florence and Figueroa. If you're from Southern California, you kind of know where that is. Florence and Figueroa. It was known in the local community as Prostitution Lane. And we pitched a tent right there on Florence and Fig and went out into the community. And it was a very simple process, 20 Bible workers. I was in my junior year in college, took the summer off. That, that summer changed my life because we would go out eight hours a day, knocking on doors, very simple. We'd knock on the door, say, hi, my name is David. I'm with Present Truth Ministry, still remember the canvas. And we're here in the community and we would like to pray with you. We would like to pray for you. Do you have any prayer requests? We'd have a clipboard full of paper, and they said, oh, yeah. It's something about being in these communities. They feel their need of prayer. You know, I, I was, they said, and I say, uh, please tell me your prayer request. And, I, and they would, I would write down their prayer request. We'd go out. I, we would walk like five miles a day, in and out. I'd have a map gridded out. And, and uh, every other night, this was a radical program, we would pray for all of those people by name, with their prayer requests, all night, every other night. Um, I don't think I could do that right now. But anyways, it, it, was, it, was, it was when uh, he just, it, was, it was spiritual warfare. So we were praying all the, every other night, and we would walk those streets um, that police feared to walk. But I had no fear because I was prayed up, and I was ready to go. I, I was never so fearless in my life. You go on, and we had these, these tattered pieces of paper with all of these prayer requests, praying through them, and then we invited them to the meetings. And I saw miracles that summer. I saw demon-possessed people be delivered. 
We had 800 to 1,000 people packing that tent every night. And it was no, no mail out, no fancy budget, just personal invitations only. They came, packed out that house. There were 400 baptisms that summer. It was incredible. And it was so transformative for me because I would knock on the door and I would bring the people to the meetings. And I saw people from the door, I'm their first contact, to the meetings, to giving their lives to Jesus in baptism. And I remember by the side of the pool, watching the person that I'd been their first contact go down into the water and be baptized. And I was just just weeping, tears of joy. If you have never led a soul to Jesus, I want to tell you, I never took drugs before, but it was a spiritual high that I have never experienced before in any other case when you lead someone to Christ. And that is one reason why I believe that God has called us to be a witness for him. Do you know you can't take anything to heaven? You, you can't take, you know, we're not going to take our bodies to heaven, praise God for that, but you can't take your, your, your car, your home, your 401k, you can't take nothing. You, you ever gone somewhere on a trip and you have nothing with you? So, so God in his infinite wisdom wants us to have a share in his kingdom. You go to heaven, you can't bring anything except yourself and people. And people. So when you get there, I mean, imagine you introduce your neighbor to Jesus and they're in heaven. And so throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity, you get to share in that joy. And what a beautiful experience. So you can have a share in his kingdom. Can you imagine going to heaven and you are the only one that is there in your entire family? You're alone. I, you ever been to a place and been like, oh, I wish so-and-so was with me so they could see this waterfall, but you're by yourself. So God on this earth says, look, I want you to store treasure in heaven. And if you were to open the vault of heaven, you know what you'd see? You'd see your picture. That's what heaven's treasure is. Here we put gold and silver Heaven is paved with it. Heaven's treasure is people. So God says, look, I want you to partner with me. I want you to share in the joy of soul winning. And there is something about leading someone to Jesus that changes your life forever. After that summer, I said, Lord, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to do this for the rest of my life. In your study guide... God might have committed the message of the gospel and all the work of loving ministry to the heavenly angels. He doesn't need us. Are you kidding me? Who would you rather have give a Bible study? Me or the angel Gabriel? I mean, that's not even a choice. But in his infinite love, he chose to make us co-laborers with himself, with Christ and the angels, that we might share the blessing, the joy, the spiritual uplifting, which results from, his uns- from this unselfish ministry. Jesus says, I don't want you to miss out on the joy.
So I'm not going to give it just the ang- to the angels. I'm going to give it to every person that has tasted of the love of God. Character, the other one, the other reason why God calls us to be witnesses for him, God could have reached his object in saving sinners without our aid, but in order for us to develop a character like Christ, we must share in his work. There's a tendency sometimes, if you are not out sharing Jesus, to become introspective and intro-focused, navel-gazing, looking at our own problems. And I've grown up in Adventist communities, and I know the blessing that is there, but there is the tendency, if we are not careful, to just serve in our own community, have friends in our own community, and we just look inward upon ourselves, navel-gazing, look at our own problems, introspection, and it becomes all self-focused. And something about reaching out and seeing things from another person's perspective and then vicariously experiencing the joy and seeing their light, eyes light up when they experience the gospel for the very first time. I tell you, I have given a Bible study on the Sabbath, on the state of the dead, leading someone to Jesus thousands of times. I grew up in this church. But it seems like every time I give a Bible study and I see their eyes light up and I see the joy and I see them embrace Jesus as their Savior, I vicariously experience that joy again. I relive my experience again and I think to myself, I'm not crazy. You know, it's like you see someone else embrace it and take off. There is joy in that and there is character that is developed. You know, when we get to heaven, The culture of heaven is giving. It's service. That's what makes heaven, heaven. And the way that God prepares us for heaven is by saying, you know what? Freely have you been blessed. Freely have you received, freely give. Freely have you received, freely give. Um, Just some interesting notes about the this candelabra or the candlesticks, the menorah, is according to rabbinical literature, and I just found this out this week, the wicks, you know, where did they get the wicks for the, the menorah? The wicks were made from the linen robes of the priests. According to rabbinical literature, when the, the priest's robes would get old, they would turn them into the wicks that would burn. Now, this is a fascinating illustration of what takes place, and the robes represented in Scripture, it represents the the righteousness of Christ. We are given the righteous robes of Jesus, and it's fascinating that the robes are what makes the wicks burn and give light. The righteousness of Christ is what makes our witness possible. It's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And here we have a quotation from Richard Davidson. It's not on the screen. It's in your study guide. The lampstand indeed is a rich emblem of the nature of the Christian witness flowing from our dependence on the righteousness of Christ. So as we go out and share with others, it is because of the righteousness of Jesus. Another interesting fact about this menorah was where did the fire come from you know they didn't just go in there with a lighter and just light it that was known as common fire 
It was significant because the fire came from the altar of burnt offering. That was the original source. So they would take a coal or something, a fire, from the altar of burnt offering, and that was the source from which they lit the lamps. The fire for lighting the lamps was not common fire, but was from the brazen altar. Our motivation to witness is Christ's sacrifice. That is what drives us to witness. It's not because we have to. You know, sometimes we can get into this mode of like, saying, oh, you have to do this. This is your responsibility. This is your duty. You must do it. Well, really, the motivation to share Jesus is not because we have to. It's because we want to. It comes because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is our motivation. That is our fire. I remember one time I got something free from this company that, I, that uh, sells outdoor equipment. So I bought this one thing, and they said, it was kind of a weird company. Um, they said, we'll, we'll give you, you won this bonus. You won this gift. They're like, surprise, and you won't know until you get it. I was like, oh, wow, it's just a gimmick. So I ordered this item. They said, I got the surprise. It comes in the mail. I open it up, because I'm like thinking, nothing comes free nowadays. Open it up. It's this big box. And there is a $150 jacket. And I was like, wow. You know the first thing I did after that? I got on my phone and I shared. Right? Called my wife and said, you're never going to believe this. It was actually her size. It wasn't mine. I said, you got a free jacket. She still wears it today. Lord knew we were coming to Alaska. It's super warm. And, and so, and, and I shared, and I was so impressed by it. I went to the pulpit the next Sabbath and shared that we had been blessed that week. And that came from inside. That company did not tell me I had to do it. It came from inside. And when you experience the love of Christ, as revealed at the cross, there is a fire that is within your bones. You can't help but share. No one has to tell you to. You do it. So if you feel that fire going out, go to the cross. Look at Jesus. Experience Christ who will light your fire. A daily filling. The lampstand was filled with oil daily, morning and evening. It wasn't once filled, always filled. Daily, They had to be filled with oil, with the Holy Spirit. Our power to witness is from the daily filling of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole other study on the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Jesus says, ask, 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 ask. Six times he says, ask. And many times we quote these verses to say, oh, ask for a new car, ask for a new house. But at the end of the verse, Jesus says, God is more willing to give us the Holy Spirit than parents give good gifts to their children. Do you know the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that heaven can ever bestow upon men? We're told that the Holy Spirit brings all other blessings in his train. You ever see a train go by? In other words, you get the first train, it's all linked to the other trains. You ask for the Holy Spirit, you get everything else with it, with him. The Holy Spirit brings all other blessings in his train. The Holy Spirit brings with him the presence of Jesus. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's two spirits. 
Which spirit do you want to be filled with today? The Holy Spirit. There's people out there that are filled with demonic spirits. But I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the oil of heaven, you shine. You manifest the fruits of the Spirit in your day-to-day life. D.L. Moody, many think that because they were filled once, they are filled forever. Oh, my friend, we are porous vessels. It is necessary for us to constantly remain under the fountain in order to be filled. You need constant filling. Acts of the Apostles, page 50, for the daily baptism of the Spirit, every worker should offer his petition to God. Daily filling of the Holy Spirit, daily asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us with the presence of Jesus is the way that we shine for him. I shared this yesterday at our campus ministries meeting at UAA. By the way, here's a plug. I'm happy to announce that for the first time in Known history, we have an Adventist Student Association that is registered at the UAA. Amen. Praise God. We have, you know, I came from MSU. We had a campus ministry there, and I've been praying. I said, Lord, help us to start one here. So I gathered a group of college students in our home. We met for Vespers, and we, we prayed, and they got organized, and they got registered. And so we have a student association at University of Alaska. They meet on Fridays and in people's homes. And so if you'd like to support them, come and talk to me. College kids love to eat, and that's one way you can support them. So amen. Christina was there. Amen. So, so I'm excited about this. UAA, we had a group of college students there. We started meeting at our home, too, and we had non-Adventist students coming out to this small group. I shared this, this yesterday in a devotional. In Mark chapter 2, we have this story of this man that is physically paralyzed. He's unable to come to Jesus on his own. You remember the story of Christopher Reeves, Superman? Uh, I lived in Virginia. So he, he fell off his horse nearby where we, we, my parents live and, and became a quadriplegic. And so it was just this irony of the person that played Superman being a quadriplegic. This man, we don't know if he's a paraplegic or a quadriplegic, but he is immobilized. He's incapable of coming to Jesus on his own. Jesus is preaching in this absolutely packed And here is Jesus, here is this man. The only connection between Jesus and this man are four friends. Are you following me? Jesus, the source of life, everything that this man needs is right here. And this man's only connection to Jesus are four friends. You can imagine. You ever carry someone that's just like dead weight? Four men carrying this man. They're trying to get in the door. They can't. It wasn't easy bringing this friend to Jesus. It took boldness. It took audacity. And it took urgency. Those men did not say, oh, we can't get him to Jesus today. We need to do it tomorrow. They were so in a sense of urgency, they knew and they had this sense that if they did not get this man to Jesus today, he could die. And so Jesus is preaching. Imagine the boldness. You ever do something and you're like feeling a little bit awkward? They're they're tearing this man's roof apart. 
And it probably took a little bit of time because they need to fit a whole man through it. So I don't think they lowered him head first. I think they, you know, they, they opened it up far enough. This is just in my imagination. They're opening it up, and it comes to a certain point where Jesus stops preaching because there's suddenly a skylight and a bunch of fresh air. And they stop, and they look up, and this man is lowered down before Jesus. And the question I have for you today is, what are you willing to do to bring your friend to Jesus? Sometimes in our conversations with people, we talk about everything but Jesus. I'm not saying we should be obnoxious, but if you're having a conversation with a cancer patient that is terminally ill, and you have in your pocket a pill that will cure them instantly, and you talk about the stock market, you talk about sports, you talk about fishing, you talk about everything but that pill that you have in your pocket, it's a disservice. Here we have people that are perishing for a lack of knowledge of Jesus Christ. They are dying spiritually and will be eternally lost if not introduced to Jesus. And we have this tremendous opportunity to connect them. God's not asking us to be Jesus. He's asking us to be the connector. And there are people out there that may not be physically paralyzed, but they are morally paralyzed. There are people out there that are so spiritually paralyzed and depraved, they can't even come to Jesus on their own. And the only Jesus they are ever going to see in their life is potentially you. You're the connector. You're the connector to bring them to Jesus. The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, collective faith, he said, Man, rise, take up your bed, and walk. What a story. What a story. This is a prayer that we can pray. Lord, give me the opportunity to share you today. Do you know that all of heaven is invested in saving souls? Number one priority. They're just looking for people to cooperate. So when you say, Lord, give me the opportunity to share you today, they're like, finally, thank you. They can lead you. They will orchestrate events. They will guide conversations. People will come to you and say, hey, tell me about what you're studying. You, you go to church, right? Tell me about it. That's an open door. I mean, we don't have to be in there. You know, prime. They will come to you if you say, Lord, give me the opportunity to share you today. He will guide you. He will lead you when we are cooperating with heaven's goal, heaven's interest. Um, just very quickly, we have the onion principle. This is from Mark Finley. At the core of who we are is our spiritual interest. If you go to someone and say, uh, you know, t t tell me about your walk with Jesus, or do you have a walk with Jesus? They're going to be like, oh, you know, who are you? You know, how, how dare you? Because that's the core of what people are. At the outside of that is philosophical interests, specific interests, and, and general interests. And so we need, to, we need to be wise in our conversations, in how we dialogue with people. Conversations is like playing catch. So if you throw the ball to someone and they keep it, end of conversation. And let me give you an example of when they keep it. One word answer. How are you today? Good. End of conversation. 
All right? If you throw the ball to them and they're like, good, wonderful, how are you? They've just thrown the ball back. All right? And, and so you go, and usually what happens on the plane, you know, airplane conversations or sitting with strangers, I was at Costco waiting outside to get my tires changed because I didn't make an appointment. So I got there like three hours early and I was still number two. So I'm sitting out there on the cold bench, you know, in, in March, two, three hours early, in my snow pants, all bundled up, you know, and I'm an introvert. I, I don't like to talk too much unless so i'm just sitting there minding my own business i brought my book that's my thing i was gonna read and this guy sits down next to me and he's super gregarious you know and he was playing catch and he just kept going and going and going and going you know he just kept kept on going and going and i said oh there goes the book all right that's all right let's do this thing he wasn't typically you know very interested in spiritual things but it's an example of of someone so the conversation is going and so you go from general interest you talk about the family you talk about the weather and then it goes more specific naturally and then and then you go to philosophical interest and then you go to spiritual interest and you need permission implicitly or explicitly to go to the next level doesn't have to be explicit but implicit you go to the next level and then you start talking about church maybe they'll say hey do you get a chance to go to church or they ask me it's very easy what do you do I scratch my head and I say, i'm a pastor and i just look at them and i can notice you know <laughs> you know and uh, but but if they're like oh i'm like okay let's go you know and uh so so but but you can kind of you can kind of see here you talk about you talk about church and they're like yeah i get a chance to go to church and then you share your testimony you say can i share with you how the lord has blessed me this week how can i share with you how jesus has transformed my life and if they say i'd love to hear that then you have an opening then you have an opening Jesus is the most important person in the world that we can introduce anyone to. And God is looking for people that are connectors. Amen? You're the connector. Like those friends, this is one acronym that, that has been used, family, occupation, religion, testimony, fort, family, occupation religion testimony and like i said you don't need to be the holy spirit that's very liberating for me there is not an absence in the third person of the godhead you cannot convict people no neither should you when people try to be the holy spirit they're very obnoxious okay you're not the holy spirit it's the holy spirit that convicts but the thing is when the wind blows the holy spirit's like the wind according to john chapter 3 when the wind blows the tree shakes then you cooperate but if the tree's not shaking, you're not expected to do anything. All right? There are times in Bible studies, the tree's not shaking. I say, okay. But there's times when I give Bible studies and I see the tree shaking. You see conviction. There's a sense. They know they're in the valley of decision. And you cooperate. I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing the one convicting. And then I ask them, would you like to kneel down right now? and give your life to Jesus Christ, cooperating with heaven. This is our prayer as we reflect on the menorah, the candlesticks, and this is a prayer of David in Psalm 18:28. and I pray that it's our prayer. Say it with me. Lord, keep my lamp burning. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, that is the prayer of our hearts. Lord, keep our lamps burning for you. Lord, you don't need us. 
You could have had angels do this work of giving light, but you call us to be co-laborers with you so that we can share in the joy of seeing others led to Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to miss out. Lord, give us the opportunity to share Jesus with someone every single day. Whether it's in life or in words or in service, help us to be a light in the darkness. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.